Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. So today, we don't just come to the end of Acts. We come to the end of Luke-Acts which is just shy of one quarter of the New Testament. And why is this a big deal? Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, which is our journey together where we commit together to reading through every word of God's revelation of himself, Monday through Saturday, and considering our own life and work stories along the way. You might recall that Dr. Luke was explicit in his purpose, which was so that you can have, what, remember? certainty about what happened, right? His, his orderly acquisition of and arranging of content, history, details, facts, interviews, right? He's a doctor. He's a careful academic and historian. And I think we often overlook the fact that while ultimate reality includes history, it includes history of the non-naturalistic world as well. And when we get to part two of Luke Acts, the book of Acts, we see the primary theme unfold in two words, power and witness. And my friends, that's a quarter of the New Testament. It's no small deal. It's a big deal for you and me. Yes, today we hear uh, in our reading in Acts as we finish up more specific moments about Paul, but the big deal is that the church is defined by the power of the gospel not by one culture, not by one historical period, not by human tradition, and certainly not by naturalism alone. Acts chapter 28. Once safely ashore, we then learned the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man no doubt is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice, capital J right there, justice has not allowed him to live. Right, that's probably connoting the their superstition, right? some god or force they referred to as justice. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead, and after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the 
twin gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day, we came to Pudioli. There, we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so, we came to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as f- far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered together, He said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, though, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I've asked to see you. And speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. There's my favorite words, my friends, for the hope. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Then they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God, and he tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement, which was, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening, but never understanding, and you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that, my friends, wraps up Luke Acts, which kind of just leaves us hanging. Oh, well, what happened when he when he went to court to Caesar and, you know, and um, various folks have speculated as to why it kind of ends here. Um, very possibly or very probably that that was as much information as was had at the time this was written um, or wasn't known beyond that, right? We're reasonably sure that Paul was martyred, but 
but don't know. So there we go. Paul disappears off the end of the earth, <laughs> off the face of the earth somewhere in Rome. And uh, I guess we'll have a lot to talk about when we get to heaven. Well, turning to our Old Testament segment, let me remind us that the Lord fulfills his word. Remember what we read yesterday, the Philistines defeat Israel and capture the ark. Eli's sons die in battle and Eli dies at the news. And Eli's family is now cut off, which was exactly what God said would happen. But it is Samuel's name on the book. And this is but part of a transition in the history of Israel from the time of the judges to the kingdom of Saul and David. And Samuel's life was that of a reformer, right? Kind of like Martin Luther, whose spirit-led truth uh, or truth-telling ushered in a, a really significant new era in Israelite history. But before we get there, we got to pick back up with the Philistines. First Samuel packing up in uh, chapter 5. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, brought it into the temple of Dagon, and placed it next to his statue. When the people of Ashdod got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and returned him to his place. But when they got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And this time, Dagon's head and both his hands were broken off and lying on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso remained. That is why, still today, the priests of Dagon and everyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod do not step on Dagon's threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. He terrified the people of Ashdod and its territory and afflicted them with tumors. (laughs) When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of Israel's God must not stay here with us because his hand is strongly against us and our God Dagon. So they called all the Philistine rulers together and asked, What should we do with the ark of Israel's God? (laughs) I just, my friends, I got to just say this. So, Clearly, uh, Israel's God, what you and I would know as Yahweh, right? <laughs> the, the true God, is, is way more powerful than Dagon, their God, right? But what do they want to do? They want to get rid of Israel's God. Instead of going, well, wait, wait a minute, we want to worship the more powerful God. Or, to put that in a contemporary context for you and me, what do people do? Instead of going, wait a minute, there's, there's truth and power and, and the ultimate reality uh, born by a good God who sent his son to save the world. No, what do they want to do? They want to get rid of him. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I digress. So here they go. What should we do with the Ark of Israel's God? The Ark of Israel's God should be moved to Gath, they replied. So they moved the Ark of Israel's God, and after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against the city of Gath, causing a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, from the youngest to the oldest, with an outbreak of tumors. The people of Gath then sent the Ark of God to Ekron, but when it got there, the Ekronites cried out, They moved the Ark of Israel's God to us to kill us and our people. 
And the Ekronites called all the Philistine rulers together, and they said, Send the Ark of Israel's God away. Let it return to its place so it won't kill us and our people. For the fear of death pervaded the city. God's hand was oppressing them. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. When the Ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory for seven months, the Philistines summoned the priests and the diviners and pleaded, What should we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us, how can we send it back to its place? And they replied, If you send the Ark of Israel's God away, do not send it without an offering. Send back a guilt offering to him, and you will be healed. Then the reason his hand hasn't been removed from you will be revealed. They asked, What guilt offering should we send back to him? And they answered, Five gold tumors and five gold mice corresponding to the number of Philistine rulers, since there was one plague for both you and your rulers. Make images of your tumors and of your mice that are destroying the land. Give glory to Israel's God, and perhaps he will stop oppressing you, your gods, and your land. Why harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened theirs? When he afflicted them, didn't they send Israel away and Israel left? Pause. My friend, isn't it amazing here that hundreds of years later and hundreds of miles away, farther than that even, I think, that that people know what happened to Pharaoh, Right? I just find that fascinating. Continuing. Now then, prepare one new cart and two milk cows that have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord, place it on the cart, and put the gold objects that you're sending him as a guilt offering in the box beside the ark. Send it off and let it go its way. Then, watch. If it goes up the road to its homeland toward Beth Shemesh, it is the Lord who has made this terrible trouble for us. However, if it doesn't, we will know that it was not his hand that punished us. It was just something that happened to us by chance. And the men did this. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, confined their calves to the pen. Then they put the ark of the Lord on the cart, along with the box containing the gold mice and the images of their tumors. The cows went straight up the road to Beth Shemesh, and they stayed on that one highway, lowing as they went, and they never strayed to the right or to the left. The Philistine rulers were walking behind them to the territory of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they were overjoyed to see it. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there near a large rock. The people of the city chopped up the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites removed the Ark of the Lord, along with the box containing the gold objects, and placed them on the large rock. And that day, the people of Beth Shemesh burned, offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. When the five Philistine rulers observed this, they returned to Ekron that same day. As a guilt offering to the Lord, the Philistines had sent back one gold tumor for each city, Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The number of gold mice also corresponded to the number of Philistine cities of the five rulers, the fortified cities, and the outlying villages. The large rock on which the Ark of the Lord was placed is still in the field of Jeth- Joshua of Beth Shemesh today. God struck down the people of Beth Shemesh because they 
looked inside the ark of the Lord. He struck down 70 persons, and the people mourned because the Lord struck them with the great slaughter. The people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom should the ark go from here? They sent messengers to the residents of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and get it. So the people of Kiriath-Jerim came for, for the ark of the Lord and took it to Abinadab's house on the hill. They consecrated his son Eleazar to take care of it. Time went by until twenty years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kiriath-Jerim. Then the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. And Samuel told them, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths that are among you. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship only him. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the Ashtoreths and worshipped only the Lord. Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. When they gathered at Mitzpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day, and there they confessed, saying, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mitzpah. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mitzpah, their rulers marched up toward Israel. When the Israelites heard about it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. The Israelites said to Samuel, Don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, so that he will save us from the Philistines. And then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines approached to fight against Israel. The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion that they were defeated by Israel. And then the men of Israel charged out of Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to a place below Bethkar. Afterward, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mitzpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, explaining, meaning naming it, the Lord has helped us to this point. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. The cities from Ekron to Gath, which they had taken from Israel, were restored. Israel even rescued their surrounding territories from Philistine control. There was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel throughout his life. Every year he would go on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzpah and would judge Israel at all these locations. Then he would return to Ramah because his home was there. He judged Israel there, and he built an altar to the Lord there. And that gets us up through chapter 7. I love how Samuel has a circuit, right? Kind of like the old circuit rider preachers. He goes from place to place. Um, but I just want you to notice one thing, uh, and I want to be really careful with to not spiritualize the text. I just want to notice an analogy here or a, a, a parallel. But my friends, when we when we entertain sin, and I believe we even do this as a country, 
we allow a little toeholds, footholds, strongholds for Satan to worm his way in, right? We can't be demon-possessed, but we can sure be demon-harassed. And notice that turning back to the Lord here, the Israelites retook territory and, and experienced peace all of the days of Samuel. And my friends, we now have such a great high priest or the great high priest, Jesus, who I believe will help us take every thought captive and give us, a ch- give us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority to take back the territory lost, to, to humbly get on our knees and repent, but be filled with peace. And a, and a and a sense of and a sense of peace and, and, and grace that that frees us from those various attacks of the enemy. Right? the The Philistines didn't just retreat, and then they didn't just keep getting success. Meaning, Israel didn't just keep getting success against repeated attacks. The Philistines retreated. And quit attacking for a while. My friends, let me just pray for you for that. Lord God, I I pray someone right here right now needs to just come back to you, Lord. To to relinquish their own control, their own self-control. And to to give you the preeminence that you deserve. And Lord, I, I just pray that transactionally that we would that we would just declare that the authority, the power, the witness that Jesus has given us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would in fact affect that as ambassadors, Lord, and that we would declare this territory belongs to the Lord. And the Lord, you would grant someone listening right now the peace that they need. In Jesus' name, I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.